Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When I was a teenager around 2004, we used to sneak down through a quiet area of scrub over the dunes onto the beach to smoke weed. I lived in a very small, coastal town on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Typical wildlife was possums, wallabies, and maybe the occasional kangaroo. Definitely no dingoes, crocs, or other apex predators around. One night as we quietly made our way down the path, we noticed a shuffling, rustling sound in the undergrowth near the path. We stopped moving, and the sound seemed to stop as well. 
There was absolutely zero light, except from some houses in the distance and the moon. After a brief pause, we decided to keep moving. We heard the rustling sound again, and this time noticed some bushes moving. We stopped and my friend whispered, Holy shit, did anyone else see the trees move? I whispered back. I only saw the bushes move. We stood there frozen for a few beats in my head. I was weighing up the option to either continue on the path or leg it back home. We took a few more steps forward when we heard the sound like leaves crunching underfoot. At this point I reached out and grabbed my friend's hand, thinking maybe we were being followed by someone. It was right then I noticed I could smell something awful. What the F is that smell? My mate whispered. His voice came out so small it frightened me even more. We stood there for so long, but probably only a minute or two until we heard a low groan growl sound coming from a few meters away. Now brushtail possums are quite common to the area and are known to make a kind of grunting coughing sound, but they are from the ones I've ever heard, distinctly higher pitched and more chirpy sounding than what we heard. This was a low and more sonorous sound kind of like err, with some strange catching tish sounds at the end. Needless to say, we wordlessly booked it straight back up the path the way we came. It sounded to me like a huge commotion of leaves crunching and branches shaking and crashing behind us as we ran, but reflecting on it with my adult hindsight, it definitely could have been us making all that noise. We never went back to that spot again and would bring it up from time to time, trying to speculate what could have followed us that night. Our best theories were that it was just a bloody big possum or a person trying to scare us. The biggest issues we would argue over was why would a possum follow us, let alone down on the ground, although my mate says he saw the tree branches move as well. And if it was a person, how did they make that sound? And what was the smell? And why didn't we hear any footfall? Maybe it was just a coincidence of events. A person following us, a nearby possum growling, and a nearby dead animal stink wafting over at just the right moment. It still makes me shiver to think about it now. Six years ago, when I was only 12, an experience shook me to my core. I just returned home from school and was enjoying my lunch in front of the TV. Both my parents were out, and my grandmother was fast asleep in her room. As I sat there engrossed in my favorite cartoon, something in the room adjacent to the TV caught my attention from the corner of my eye. At first, I tried to dismiss it as my imagination, keeping my focus glued to the screen. But soon, I felt a movement in that room. When I turned my head, my heart nearly leapt out of my chest. I saw the teeth of a person wide open in a terrifying grin. It was a woman, or at least that's what it looked like. A black figure, smiling at me. My heart pounded in my chest, and for a moment I was paralyzed by fear. I stared at her for what felt like an eternity, but was probably only five seconds. Then she started moving towards me. That was my breaking point. Fight or flight kicked in, and I bolted towards the room, slammed the door shut, and dashed out into the backyard. Outside, my breath came in ragged gasps. I kept glancing at the house, peering through every door and window, scared that the figure might follow me. 
It took me a good 10 minutes to calm down. When I finally gathered the courage to go back inside, I found the door to the room still closed. I checked on my grandmother. She was still asleep, oblivious to the ordeal I just experienced. I wanted to wake her up, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I returned to my spot in front of the TV, my gaze locked onto the screen but my mind elsewhere, grappling with the terror I just experienced. When my parents arrived home later, I finally felt a bit safer. I called up my friend and spilled out the entire incident to him. Surprisingly, as time passed, the incident faded from my memory. I never told my parents about it until a month ago when a scene from a horror movie brought the memory rushing back. They brushed it off as a dream since I'd kept it a secret for six years, but my friend remembered my frantic call that day. To this day, I don't know what I saw. Was it a spirit? A hallucination? I've tried to rationalize it, but the memory remains vivid and real. After that day, I never encountered anything similar again, except for a strange occurrence last week. But that's a story for another time. I live in Connecticut and had a very negative paranormal experience out in the woods in Granby. Time loss, ending up in a place we could not have physically ended up in given the time. Like we went for a hike and basically ended up in a place 10 miles away and over a mountain cliffs hills. Two of us were tripping with one sober trip sitter tagging along with us. So we chalked it up to that because we did get lost. The trip sitter was kind of a shitty person in the end. So we assumed she deliberately let us get lost for entertainment on her behalf. I don't know LOL. But when we ended up getting rescued by a friend's boyfriend and brought back to our car, even he dead sober could not believe we ended up where we did. Three towns over literally, in only two hours that also involved a lot of walking back and forth on the same path, trail. We weren't even walking fast, just moseying around and enjoying nature until we realized we suddenly didn't recognize where we were anymore despite never leaving that original trail. And the way back down it seemed different and foreign, even according to our trip sitter. I refused to go back to that hiking spot. The whole situation gave my other tripping friend a panic attack. It felt a bit like some of the stuff that I've heard about happening in the 411 missing docu, I think it's called that. And I don't actually care for the guy who made it since I heard he's a bit dishonest about some things. There's a lot of granite and quartz in Connecticut, and apparently weird paranormal stuff happens around those types of rock formations crystals. I know one time I was hiking and legit started to get trippy visuals despite being sober myself during that hike, and it seemed to occur only in a very rocky part of the trail. I booked it because it made me feel out of control, not a good feeling when alone with your dog out in the woods lol. I don't spend time out in the woods in Connecticut alone anymore. Not even with my dog. I need a posse or I'm not going out there lol. We didn't know what was going on until just a few years ago. At first, we found the house that they were living in. My husband and I didn't know what it was, and he kind of joked with me about it. At that time, we didn't realize it was a Bigfoot. Since then, our property had a fire, it burned down, 
so we moved a mile and a half from where we knew they were into another house. Little did we know that we were just coming into a family of them. So said Brenda in her radio interview with David Schrader, host of the late-night radio show Coast to Coast. According to her, she and her husband hear the Bigfoot family scrape their walls, make weird noises, and create other kinds of ape-like nuisance. They, however, are not feared by them a bit. Instead, they even leave buckets of food for their Sasquatch friends. They throw rocks on the house, I hear them talking. People thought I was crazy, but I know what I heard. I've heard them yell, walking out close to the house, and my husband too. They are all around us and my son put cameras out below his house and he got some on camera, but they've never tried to hurt us. I hear them talking, you can't make out what they are saying, but know it's their voices. She also says that at first there was only Mama Bigfoot and Papa Bigfoot, but recently they had a baby. Now they are a blooming, happy family of three Sasquatches living alongside their very own human house in the middle of town. Brenda has even claimed that another fellow neighbor had seen the Bigfoot trio, but was too scared to talk about it. In the summer of 94, I found myself in the heart of Oregon's mountainous region. I was working for a geological service back then and had taken a friend along for a horseback ride near Husband Lake, close to Linton Meadow. We were about seven miles out on the Cascade Crest Trail, a rugged path accessible from where Road 18624 ended. The trail was flanked by a swampy area on one side and a steep 400-foot cliff on the other, coming off Husband Mountain. As we were riding along, something strange at the top of the ridge caught our eyes. There was a stump there, or at least that's what we initially thought it to be. But then, to our disbelief, the stump moved. It stood up there and watched us, I remember saying to my friend in hushed whispers. The figure was at an almost impossible angle, precariously leaning over the cliff edge, seemingly trying to get a better look at us. Then, almost as if it was aware that we were watching, it started to retreat in slow motion, gradually disappearing from our sight. However, this wasn't the last we saw of it. Twice more it reappeared along the trail. One time it had its foot rested on a boulder, that was when our horses began to act up, sidestepping and dancing nervously. They were clearly spooked, and we were in a hurry to get down the trail, away from the mysterious figure. The creature was silhouetted against the sky, the sun casting its form and shadow. We couldn't see any specific details, but its size was unmistakable. It was a massive figure, easily twice the size of a man, and appeared to be heavily muscled. Its fur or skin was dark brown. It resembled descriptions I've heard of the fabled dogmen. After that encounter, I became convinced that there was a family of these creatures in the area. I don't know if they are dogmen or Bigfoot or something else entirely, but I do know that they are out there. And every time I venture into those mountains, I can't shake the feeling that we are being watched by those curious hidden eyes. I was in Cozumel, Mexico, driving a truck through a completely uninhabited area on my way to a beautiful, secluded beach. 
The sun was shining and I was eager to relax on the pristine sand, soak up some rays, and enjoy the crystal clear water. As I continued down the deserted road, I suddenly spotted something up ahead. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. This strange creature looked like a stick figure drawing, with a disproportionately large head and a spindly body. It was all black and stood on its hind legs, seemingly aware of my presence. Without any warning, the bizarre creature darted across the road right in front of my truck. I slammed on the brakes, barely managing to avoid hitting it. My heart was pounding, and I stared in disbelief as it disappeared into the dense jungle. Shaken by the encounter, I continued on my way to the beach, but I couldn't get the image of that creepy thing out of my mind. When I met up with my friends, I told them about what I had seen, and even drew a sketch of the creature. They were just as baffled as I was, unable to identify it based on my description or drawings. Over the years, I've tried to find out what that strange creature could have been. I've researched every known animal that inhabits Cozumel, but nothing seems to match the stick figure-like being I saw that day. Even my friends who still live on the island haven't been able to figure out what it was. To this day, the memory of that eerie encounter lingers in my mind. I can't help but wonder what it was that crossed my path in the uninhabited wilderness of Cozumel. Perhaps it was a creature yet to be discovered by science, or maybe it was something supernatural. Whatever it was, it remains an unsolved mystery that continues to haunt me. Emily had always felt a deep connection to the wild. Her heart beat in rhythm with the rustling leaves, and her soul found solace in the melody of birdsong. As a seasoned park ranger responsible for the sprawling and isolated national park, she was entrusted with the task of safeguarding the delicate balance of nature's beauty and preserving its intricate ecosystem. It was a role she cherished, a labor of love that gave purpose to her every step. Her days were a symphony of simplicity. Patrolling the trails, monitoring wildlife, and maintaining the trails were rituals that brought her a sense of fulfillment like no other. Emily reveled in the tranquility of the great outdoors, often feeling more at home in the embrace of nature than in the bustling city beyond the park's borders. However, the serenity she had come to know would soon be shattered by a series of unexplainable events that defied the very fabric of her reality. It all began on a seemingly ordinary night. The moon cast a silvery glow over the dense, forested area Emily was patrolling. The wind whispered through the leaves, carrying with it an eerie sensation that sent a shiver down her spine. At first, she dismissed the whispers as nothing more than the rustling of leaves or the echoes of her own thoughts bouncing off the trees. But as she continued on her path, the whispers persisted, growing clearer and more distinct with each passing moment. Emily stopped in her tracks, her senses on high alert. The whispers seemed to emanate from all directions, as if the very forest itself was conspiring to share its secrets with her. She strained her ears, her heart racing as she struggled to comprehend the source of the unsettling voices. Doubt gnawed at the edges of her consciousness was she truly alone in the wilderness. Days turned into weeks, and the strange and unexplainable occurrences continued to haunt Emily's days and nights. 
She discovered odd symbols carved into trees, intricate patterns made from stones that defied the laws of nature, and eerie lights that flickered in the distance during the darkest hours. The tranquility she had once associated with the park had been replaced by an unnerving sense of foreboding that seemed to hang heavy in the air. Emily's skepticism, rooted in her scientific upbringing and training, began to waver as the evidence mounted before her. Determined to make sense of the inexplicable, she delved into the park's history. Through old records and the tales of local residents, she uncovered stories of ancient legends that seemed to intersect with the present. Native American lore spoke of spirits that roamed the land, and tales of eerie occurrences dated back generations. Haunted by her experiences, Emily found herself torn between her duty as a park ranger and the growing fear of the unexplainable. She confided in fellow rangers and locals, sharing her encounters and finding a surprising commonality. Others had experienced similar phenomena in the very same remote areas of the park. Together, they formed a support network and alliance born from shared experiences that offered both solace and validation in a world that had become increasingly elusive. But it was during a climactic moment that Emily faced the heart of the mystery head-on. Armed with a camera and a voice recorder, she ventured deeper into the park, determined to capture evidence of the whispers and unsettling occurrences. As she snapped photos and recorded her surroundings, an unexplainable force seemed to pulse through the very air around her. However, her hopes were shattered when she discovered that her camera's drive had malfunctioned, erasing all the photos she had taken. Her heart sank, frustration mingling with the fear that had been growing within her. The weight of her quest seemed almost insurmountable, the answers she sought just beyond her grasp. But Emily was not one to back down. Determined to uncover the truth, she ventured even deeper into the heart of the park. Armed with a renewed determination, she faced the unknown with courage. Her steps were steady, her heart resolute as she confronted the possibility that the wilderness itself held secrets beyond human understanding. As she journeyed into the heart of the wilderness, Emily found herself enveloped in an atmosphere that seemed to hum with a hidden energy. The air was thick with anticipation, as if the very essence of the park was holding its breath, waiting for her to uncover its truth. In the midst of the towering trees and the eerie silence, Emily's footsteps carried her further into the heart of the mystery. Her camera and voice recorder were her companions, tools that she hoped would capture the unexplainable phenomena that had haunted her days and nights. Hours turned into days as Emily pressed on, driven by an insatiable curiosity and an unyielding determination. She encountered more of the mysterious symbols, more stones arranged in patterns that seemed to defy all logic, and the ever-present whispers that seemed to dance just beyond the edge of her hearing. But it was in the heart of the wilderness that she experienced the climax of her journey. As she stood beneath the towering canopy, her camera poised to capture whatever awaited her, the air grew still. A palpable tension settled around her, as if the very world was holding its breath. And then, in a moment that defied comprehension, Emily felt a presence of presence that seemed to permeate the very air itself. It was as if the wilderness had come alive, as if the ancient spirits that had once roamed this land were reaching out to her. 
She raised her camera, her hands steady despite the rush of adrenaline coursing through her veins. But as she pressed the shutter button, a surge of energy engulfed her, causing the camera to malfunction. She watched in shock as the images on the screen blurred and twisted, the shapes becoming almost ethereal. The whispers grew louder, voices echoing through her mind, as if the spirits themselves were speaking directly to her. In that moment, Emily felt a connection that transcended time and space. The park's secrets, once buried beneath layers of history and myth, seemed to surge to the surface, begging to be heard. She realized that the wilderness itself was a living entity, an ancient force that held within it the stories of generations past. With a mixture of awe and trepidation, Emily lowered her camera. She may not have captured the evidence she sought, but she had experienced something far more profound. The whispers of the wilderness had become her companions, the spirits of the land had embraced her, and the unexplainable occurrences had become a part of her reality. As she emerged from the heart of the park, her heart heavy with the weight of what she had witnessed, Emily knew that her journey was far from over. The unexplainable had become a part of her, woven into the very fabric of her being. And as she looked out at the sprawling landscape that stretched before her, she realized that the mysteries of the wilderness were vast and endless, waiting to be discovered by those who dared to listen. And so, Emily continued her role as a park ranger, but now with a deeper understanding of the world around her. She embraced the whispers of the wilderness, knowing that they held within them the stories of generations, the echoes of ancient spirits, and the unexplainable truths that could only be felt with the heart. It was the summer of 1973, and I was 12 years old. My friends and I were enjoying the long, hot days by riding our bikes through the winding roads of Durham, exploring the woods and fields that surrounded our quiet town. Little did we know, we were about to encounter something that would become a part of local legend, the Durham Gorilla. One sunny afternoon in late July, our group of five decided to take a ride down Shiloh Road, a quiet country road that cut through a dense forest. We had biked this route before, and we were excited to enjoy the thrill of the downhill ride and the cool shade of the trees. We set off, racing each other and laughing without a care in the world. As we reached the halfway point of our journey, we rounded a bend and suddenly skidded to a halt. There, standing in the middle of the road, was a creature unlike anything we had ever seen before. It was about the size of a chimpanzee, covered in dark hair, and appeared to be just as surprised to see us as we were to see it. For a moment, time seemed to stand still. We stared at the creature, and it stared back at us its eyes filled with curiosity and perhaps a hint of fear. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to make sense of what I was seeing. Was this a wild animal that had escaped from a zoo or a private collection? Or was it something else entirely? Before any of us could react, the creature let out a high-pitched shriek and disappeared into the underbrush, leaving us standing there, stunned and speechless. We looked at each other, unsure of what to do next. Should we report our sighting to the authorities? Would anyone even believe us? In the end, we decided to keep our encounter a secret, 
fearing that we would be ridiculed or accused of making up stories. But as the days and weeks passed, more and more people in Durham began reporting sightings of a similar creature, and the legend of the Durham Gorilla was born. The sightings continued throughout August, sparking a frenzy of speculation and debate among the townspeople. Some believed that the creature was a Bigfoot, while others insisted it was simply an escaped chimpanzee. As for me, I never did find out the truth behind the Durham Gorilla, but I will never forget that day on Shiloh Road the day my friends and I came face to face with the unknown. My name is Etu, which in our Apache language means sun. I was named for the light and warmth I brought to my tribe, nestled deep within the verdant expanse of the Pacific Northwest. I was a boy of the woods, raised on the songs of the wind and the stories of the ancients. But the woods began whispering a different tale, one steeped in darkness and dread. It all started with a dream. In my dreams, I was pursued by a wendigo, a mythical creature from the legends of tribes far to our east. The wendigo was a symbol of gluttony and excess, a beast that fed on flesh and had an insatiable hunger. I would wake up drenched in sweat, the wendigo's blood-curdling roar still ringing in my ears. Soon, reality began to mirror my nightmares. Hunters from our tribe ventured into the woods and never returned. Wild animals were found mutilated, their bodies grotesquely mangled. An eerie cry would echo through the night, chilling us to our bones. I tried to warn the tribe's elders, recounting my dreams and the strange happenings. But they dismissed me, attributing my fears to the overactive imagination of a boy. I knew I had to do something. I dove into our ancient tribal lore, reading every scroll, deciphering every symbol. I trained, strengthening my body and mind, learning the ways of the hunter, the wisdom of the tracker. I was determined to face the Wendigo and protect my people. One fateful night, under the light of the full moon, I ventured deep into the heart of the woods. I could feel the Wendigo's presence, a palpable dread that hung in the air. The showdown was brutal, a dance of death between a boy and a beast. But I had the strength of my ancestors, the love of my tribe, and the courage that could only come from knowing what was at stake. I fought the Wendigo with every ounce of my being, using the knowledge and skills I had gained from our ancient tribal lore. The battle raged on for what seemed like hours. The Wendigo's strength was immense, but I was relentless. I evaded its deadly claws and piercing fangs, striking back with my own fierce determination. With a final, desperate lunge, I drove my spear deep into the heart of the creature. As the Wendigo fell, its body began to dissolve into the air, like mist vanishing. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the sunlight, the creature's deathly cries faded into the night, 
leaving behind only silence and a profound sense of relief. The beast was defeated, and I had saved my Apache tribe. I returned to my people, bearing the tale of my victory. The elders finally listened, their eyes wide with awe and respect. They recognized the truth of my words and the strength of my spirit. I was no longer just Etu, the boy named for the sun. I had become a warrior, a guardian of my tribe, and a living legend among my people. With the Wendigo gone, peace and harmony were restored to our tribe and the woods. The hunters returned to their task, wild animals roamed without fear, and the eerie cries that once haunted the night were silenced forever. We could finally live in peace, safe in the knowledge that the Wendigo had been vanquished, and that our tribe was protected by one of its own. I'm Dr. James Reed, an anthropologist with an insatiable curiosity about the rich tapestry of human culture. One day, my thirst for knowledge led me to the isolated lands of a Native American tribe nestled in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. I was there to learn, to observe their unique culture, and unravel their folklore. As I immersed myself in their world, I heard whispers of a guardian spirit, a creature resembling the legendary Bigfoot. This creature, they believed, was a protector of their lands, a revered figure in their folklore. I listened with intrigue, fascinated by the tribe's profound connection with nature. Before long, a mining company began prospecting in the nearby hills, their heavy machinery sending tremors through the quiet mountain range. As the machines crept closer to the sacred lands, the guardian spirits started manifesting in inexplicable, terrifying ways. The machines were destroyed, miners scared away by the sight of the massive creature. The tribe was convinced. It was their guardian spirit defending the sacred lands. But I was torn, caught between my rational scientific beliefs and the mystical world the tribe lived in. The mining company was relentless, and the tribe's way of life was under threat. The peaceful harmony of the tribe was being replaced with fear and unrest. I knew I had to do something. Setting aside my skepticism, I decided to join forces with the tribe. We researched old tribal legends, sought the counsel of the elders, and ventured deep into the sacred groves. The more I delved into the tribe's spiritual world, the more I began to question my own rigid beliefs. In the end, it was a battle not just for the tribe's sacred land, but also for their way of life. We managed to convince the mining company to stop their operations, but not without a few close encounters with the guardian spirit encounters that I still struggle to explain rationally. I left the Appalachian Mountains with more questions than answers. The experience had forever blurred the lines between my scientific pursuits and the mystical world of the tribe. But one thing was clear, there were forces at work far beyond our understanding, forces that demanded respect and reverence. And sometimes, protecting what's sacred required more than just logic and reason. This incident was relayed to me by my dad just a few years ago. My dad is a very level-headed, grounded man. He said he didn't say anything to anyone for a while, because he wanted to keep this incredible experience to himself. 
My father lives in Southern California and was up visiting my stepmothers, his wife's mother and father. Grandpa was dying and I guess dad just needed some time alone so he decided to take a walk. It was a pleasant day, not too hot, just perfect for a hike. Dad said he had never taken this direction before, but that he had decided to try it this time. He said he had been walking uphill for some time just enjoying the sights and fresh air when he decided he needed a rest. He saw a downed log on the side of the road, the side that goes down towards the river, when he heard a very unusual sound. He described it as almost a scolding sound, a TTT combined with a whistle. Immediately he became very still and the hair on the back of his neck stood up he also reported goosebumps. He said this noise was repeated again, and he said there was no mistaking the meaning. He had to leave the area fast. He said he got up and looked around all while moving away from the area heading downhill toward home, which was a good two miles away. He said he moved at a fairly good pace but did not dare run. He said this was all kind of a sixth sense kind of thing. Inborn you might say. The noise was never repeated. He was not followed either. In my early days, I was a hunter, one with a deep connection to nature's rhythms. The thrill of the hunt, the camaraderie shared with fellow hunters, the encounters with majestic creatures, all of these were integral parts of my life. I knew the forest like the back of my hand, and my rifle was an extension of myself. I was part of a tradition that spanned generations, a tradition that revered the art of tracking and the thrill of the chase. Yet, as the years went by, I began to witness changes in the world around me. Climate change brought erratic weather patterns, habitat loss accelerated, and the populations of the creatures I once pursued dwindled. I couldn't ignore the signs of a shifting environment nor the responsibility that seemed to weigh heavier on my shoulders with each passing day. It was during a hunting trip deep in the heart of the wilderness that my perspective began to shift. I had ventured far from civilization, seeking solace in the familiarity of the forest. It was there that I encountered a rare and endangered creature, a glimpse of which seemed like a miracle. Its fur gleamed in the dappled sunlight, and its eyes held a wisdom that belied its vulnerability. In that moment, something within me stirred a realization that the balance of the natural world was at a critical juncture. My encounter with this magnificent creature triggered a cascade of thoughts. As I gazed into its eyes, I felt a connection that transcended the boundaries of predator and prey. It wasn't just about the ethics of hunting anymore. It was about the larger implications of our actions on the delicate tapestry of life. This encounter marked the beginning of a transformative journey. I knew I couldn't continue as I had before, blind to the consequences of my pursuits. Driven by a desire to make a positive impact, I decided to shift my focus toward conservation efforts. I immersed myself in collaboration with local wildlife experts researchers and conservation organizations. Together, we endeavored to understand the challenges facing endangered species, to protect their habitats, and to combat the pervasive threat of poaching. The transition wasn't without its struggles. I faced resistance from my former hunting peers, 
who saw my change in direction as a betrayal of tradition. Skeptics questioned my sincerity, believing my newfound advocacy to be a mere phase. Internally, I grappled with a sense of identity crisis. Who was I now, if not the hunter who had roamed these woods for years? But as I ventured deeper into the world of conservation, I began to find my place. I realized that the intricacies of ecosystems were far more fascinating and interconnected than I had ever imagined. The delicate balance required to maintain them was a puzzle that challenged my intellect and my spirit. The joy of witnessing successful conservation efforts, even the smallest victories, ignited a fire within me that I hadn't felt in years. The pivotal moment came during a late-night stakeout in a remote part of the forest. We were monitoring a region known for its endangered species when an eerie stillness settled over the woods. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end as I felt a presence, a primal sensation that sent a shiver down my spine. And then I saw it a figure, towering and powerful, standing on two legs like a colossal being from legend. It was Bigfoot, a creature that had eluded scientific explanation for generations. My heart raced, not just from fear, but from a profound sense of awe. The moment was surreal, a testament to the mysteries that still thrived within the wilderness. As Bigfoot disappeared into the night, I knew that my journey had come full circle. The hunter in me had transformed into a guardian, a protector of the delicate balance that sustained life. I had found a new purpose, one that extended beyond the thrill of the hunt. The realization struck me with a force that shook my very being. My role as a conservation advocate was far more impactful than my past identity as a hunter. And so, under the starlit sky, I pledged to continue my mission to stand between the creatures I once pursued and the threats that sought to erase them. As I walked away from that night's encounter, a sense of gratitude and determination coursed through me. The wilderness had shaped me once as a hunter, and now it was shaping me anew as a protector of its mysteries. I am Sergeant Marcus, a National Guard agent specializing in biochemical threats. When the call came in about a remote research facility in Montana that had gone dark, I was dispatched to investigate. I remember feeling a strange sense of apprehension as we boarded the chopper the usual humdrum replaced by a tense silence. None of us had a clue about what we were walking into. The facility was located in a desolate part of Nevada, a blip of concrete and steel in the midst of arid nothingness. We landed just as the sun began to set, bathing the facility in an eerie, foreboding glow. We made our way in, weapons drawn, nerves on edge. The silence was deafening. The complex was a labyrinth of corridors and rooms, all eerily deserted. It was as if the facility's staff had vanished into thin air. We made our way to the central lab, where we found the cause of the radio silence. The room was in complete disarray, papers scattered, lab equipment overturned, and at its center, a swirling vortex of energy that pulsed with a sickly light. It was a portal, unlike anything I'd ever seen. A low growl echoed through the room, and a creature unlike any I had ever seen emerged from the portal. It was grotesque, its form defying the laws of nature. Its eyes glowed a malevolent red, 
and saliva dripped from its gnarled, sharp-toothed mouth. It roared, a sound that shook the very foundations of the facility and charged at us. We opened fire, bullets tearing into the creature, but it seemed unfazed. More creatures followed, each more horrifying than the last. The facility became a battlefield, the air filled with the sounds of gunfire and the roars of the monstrous beings. But we held our ground, fighting tooth and nail against an enemy we barely understood. In the midst of the chaos, our tech specialist, Private Thompson, worked feverishly to reverse-engineer the portal. Sweat poured down his face as he manipulated the alien tech, trying to find a way to close the portal. I covered him, bullets flying from my weapon, each shot taking down a creature. Time seemed to stretch, each second an eternity. Finally, Thompson shouted, I've got it. He hit a button, and the portal began to shrink. The creatures roared in defiance, their hideous faces twisted in rage. But it was too late. The portal collapsed in on itself, leaving nothing but the cold, harsh fluorescent lights of the lab. We were battered and bruised, but alive. The creatures were gone, the portal closed. The facility was silent once more. But the memory of those creatures of the portal was seared into my mind, a constant reminder of the unknown threats that lurk in the shadows. I am Sergeant Marcus, a National Guard agent. I defended humanity against a threat from another dimension. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. I serve as a park ranger at a park that seems to have far more playground than actual park. This means there's tons of child traffic most days, but of course my most days, this was back in the year of 2018, long before any crazy pandemic of any virus. There was even more on the weekends and on days that school was out. I'm older now, so my kids are grown and gone. So I enjoy my job when I got to see kids nearly every day. They didn't really seem to notice me though. I just kind of blended into the background, which is why it caught my attention one day, when on a very busy weekend, there was a little girl at the far end of the park that was smiling and waving at me. I looked around to make sure she wasn't waving to a friend or a parent or something, but no, she was looking straight at me and waving. I smiled and went back kind of chuckling to myself since most of these kids don't pay me any mind. My mood seemed lighter for the rest of the day after that, the following day, which was Sunday, there was just as much of a population of kids at the playground. They were all scattered about, and I remember, to my surprise, there was that same little girl that had waved at me the day prior. She waved and smiled just as enthusiastically. My heart melted, and I waved back. After all the stuff I saw in various areas of law enforcement spanned over the years, things like that restored my faith in humanity. I got two days off and came back on a Wednesday, making my rounds as usual. There were some kids, just not as many, a very common feat during the weekend and weekday. But I came back to that one playground, and there was that still that same little girl smiling. She was always wearing that same outfit, and she was standing in the exact same spot. That's when I began to feel differently, and even felt an open pit in my stomach. So I smiled and waved back to her when I noticed that she never stopped smiling or waving. 
The only thing that seemed to have changed is that she was smiling bigger than the very first time that I saw her, and maybe she seemed more thin. She was near back to a cluster of bushes that seemed to be right next to the general area, but were actually a bit further back. I decided to approach her to see what the real issue was, and as I did, I was hit with a horrifying odor. The stench of death and rotting flesh. There's a rope that was tied around her neck and her left arm in such a way that she would stand upright and have her arm raised slightly when the bush swayed in the breeze. She looked like she was waving. Without getting into any gruesome details, she had been horribly mutilated to show that she was smiling and waving again. Since I dealt with children, this made me disgusted. I got very dizzy and I had to sit down. How was I the only one who had seen her since Saturday? I immediately called out and filed a report. Even my superiors thought my story was strange and even suspicious because they too wondered how I was the only one who had seen her. I wish I had a better explanation and I feel like there were two deaths during the whole situation, hers and my faith in people. I walked about a mile from home to go mushroom hunting in a usual area. Walked through a field of goldenrod as high as my shoulders, and was about to enter the woods when I felt something strange. I felt like I needed to go or I wouldn't get out of there alive. I didn't hear or see anything, but I had gut goosebumps and I felt anxious when everything was fine before I reached that spot. I stood there debating and decided to go hunt somewhere else. I've gone back many times and haven't experienced that again. I live in an area that have bears, wolves, coyotes, and bobcats. I've never had any problems with them on walks or hikes in the woods, but maybe that day would have been different, or maybe there was a bad person in there. I've learned to trust this feeling I get. It saved me many times, and when I ignored it, I got hurt. Whatever was in there, I did the right thing in not going in. My name is John, and I'm part of a National Guard unit assigned to protect the small town of Smallville, situated near a dense forest. The town had become the epicenter of a series of brutal attacks, and it was our job to protect the residents and track down the perpetrator. As we investigated the crime scenes, we found evidence of an unknown cryptid, which we suspected to be the legendary dogman. To aid in our search, we enlisted the help of a renowned cryptozoologist who had dedicated his life to studying these elusive creatures. Together, we delved deep into the surrounding woods, determined to confront the creature and put an end to the carnage. As we got closer to the truth, we uncovered a long-buried secret about the government's involvement in the creation and cover-up of these creatures. It was a chilling revelation that made us question everything we thought we knew about the world around us. One night, while we were searching for the creature, we heard blood-curdling screams echoing from the small town. Rushing back, our hearts pounded in our chests as we realized the horrifying truth. The entire town was gone, and all its inhabitants had been mercilessly killed. We were devastated and felt an overwhelming sense of guilt knowing that we had failed to protect the people we had been assigned to safeguard. But before we could even begin to process what had happened, government officials arrived at the scene. 
They quickly quarantined the area and ordered us to return home, offering no explanation or consolation. We left Smallville with heavy hearts, haunted by the loss of an entire community and the knowledge that we had been so close to uncovering the truth about the dogman. The government had successfully silenced us and covered up their dark secrets, but the memory of Smallville and its people would remain with us forever. It all began when the whisper of chainsaws echoed through the sacred lands of my people, the Comanche tribe. Amalawa, which means P in our language, a reminder of how small we are in the grand scheme of things. Little did I know, the grand scheme had a cruel twist in store for us. Our ancestral lands, once lush with ancient trees and teeming with life, were being violated by a ruthless logging company. Every fallen tree seemed to resonate with a piercing cry, reverberating through the air through my heart. And then we noticed it the increase in sightings of a malicious skinwalker. The skinwalker, a creature of Navajo legend, was known to shape-shift and bring harm. It was an entity of pure malevolence, a perversion of nature. It began to terrorize the loggers who were far from their comfort zones and their high-rise offices. The assaults from the creature were so relentless, so terrifying, that the company halted its operations. Our tribe was relieved, at least initially. But then, the attacks escalated. It started with livestock. Sheep and cows mutilated, their carcasses left as a gruesome warning. Then, our people started disappearing. Our tribe, once vibrant and strong, was being decimated. Fear clung to us like a shroud. Elders prayed, warriors stood guard, children cried, but nothing stopped the skinwalker. One by one my people fell, their lives snuffed out by this ancient terror. Until I was the only one left. The skinwalker had taken everyone, my family, my friends, the old, the young. I was alone, the last of my tribe, left to bear witness to our tragic end. The government arrived in the aftermath. Men in suits and uniforms swarmed our lands, their faces grim. They quarantined the area, erected barriers, and shrouded our tragedy under the guise of a disease outbreak. They found me, grief-stricken and lost, and they told me to be silent. To hide the truth of the skinwalker, the reality of our ancestral lands, and the massacre of my people. The world continued on, oblivious to our fate, ignorant of the truth. I became Alawa, the lone survivor of the Comanche tribe, the guardian of a tragic secret, a living testament to a tale too horrific to be believed. But I remember, I remember it all. I was working as a park ranger this one time when I heard something pretty weird from one of the campers. It was low season and we only had a few bookings. One, a group of Boy Scouts and their two leaders who were both middle-aged moms. Two, a very small church group, all female. And three, two college girls who had been doing some sort of nature photography shoot and research had appeared. So, a lot of females aside from a small group of young Boy Scouts. There were around five of them, and I'd say they were all pre-teen, and that's important to note for the story. You see, in the morning, while the scouts were cooking their breakfast and the church ladies were doing their prayer circle, 
one of the college girls came storming over to the office, making and filing a complaint. She said that there had been a man outside their tent during the night. They knew it was a man as he mumbled a couple of things and laughed. He'd had apparently a very deep voice. She said he was drunk and that he had urinated on the side of the tent. Again, not only from the voice, but the height of where the urine had hit the tent. They known it was a guy and not one of the little boys. Sure enough, I headed over to their tent at the location they said it happened and sure enough, there was a strong smell of human urine. There were also three empty beer cans on the floor and multiple cigarette butts. No one on that site claimed to have brought any alcohol with them, and none of them seemed like secret drinkers, and there had been no cider smell of tobacco. Thing is, our campsite is miles away from anywhere. You would have to drive to get here, and there were no obvious signs of anybody else coming on to or through the site. It was enough to freak everybody out, and they all packed up and left. Can't say I blame them. We kept watch overnight for the next week or so, but never saw anything and never had any more complaints. Maybe the girls just made the whole thing up, I don't know. It didn't feel like it though, and between the beer cans, cigarettes, and urine smell, it seems like a lot to waste your time on and a lot of a story to build up for what? The night was thick, and the only light that pierced through the darkness was the flickering flames from our campfire. The calm serenity of the lake mirrored the starry night sky, creating a tranquil ambience that was often sought but seldom found. We were surrounded by the deep woods, the lake stretching out before us. Suddenly, the tranquility was broken by a strange noise from across the lake. It was a distant rustle, an unusual sound that didn't fit the usual nighttime symphony of insects and nocturnal creatures. We hastily fed the fire, coaxing it to grow brighter, illuminating the surrounding landscape with its warm, orange glow. Just as the fire grew stronger, so did the noises. Something was over there, something big. We could hear it crashing through the underbrush, snapping branches and rustling leaves. Then came the rocks and logs, lobbed in our direction with an incredible force, splashing into the lake and thudding around our campsite. The fire cast monstrous shadows that danced and twisted with each explosive splash and thud. And then the screams began. They were unlike anything I had ever heard before. I've spent my entire life in the woods, hunting, exploring, living. I've heard the cries of bobcats, the hoots of owls, the howls of wolves, but this, this was different. It was a guttural, primal sound that resonated through the forest, sending a chill down my spine. The screams and the onslaught of debris continued for a harrowing hour. Each minute was stretched by the adrenaline pumping through our veins, making every second feel like an eternity. But then, just as suddenly as it had begun, everything went silent. The only sound left was the crackling of our fire and our own heavy breathing. We were left in the strange quiet of the night, the echoes of the creature's screams still ringing in our ears. The experience was unnerving, to say the least. Whatever had been out there was clearly powerful, and its cries still haunt me. It was a reminder that even though I've spent a lifetime in these woods, there are still mysteries here that I've yet to uncover.